Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. In GIS, when you've worked across diverse projects, different data sets, and across several industries, you'll see businesses collecting, storing, and analysing their data differently. Sometimes when people work differently from each other, though, in the way that they collect data, the result can be, well, a little bit ugly. But when you're working in GIS, you can't always tell people that their data governance structure is less than ideal or even scary to look at. What good would that do when these systems and processes are so far gone that it seems impossible to fix it? That's just it, though. It's never too late to change tact and set up great data governance structure. It is possible to go back and fix mistakes from the past, and it's actually better for your whole business to put in those hard yards. As they say, it's a short-term pain for a long-term gain, and that's why we're here today. I've got three awesome colleagues of mine joining me to talk about this topic. Now, Joy's been here before. Joy, you were last on the GDA 2020 podcast, I think it was. Absolutely. Which, with Kylie, who I've just realised is Staff's cousin. Yeah. Everyone, this is Stafford Smith currently speaking. Staff, can you please introduce yourself to people listening to the podcast who aren't familiar with who you are? Uh, sure. So, yeah, I'm Stafford Smith. I'm relatively new with NGIS, and um, my background is uh, more in archaeology, heritage, land management, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I have a bit of experience in the data collection side of things with relevance to this podcast. Awesome. Yeah. Really good to have you. Um, And I feel bad because I just started talking about Joy, like everybody listened to the GDA 2020 podcast, but Joy, just in case we do have people listening that didn't hear that podcast, can you please reintroduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm uh, Joy Miles. I'm a senior uh, GIS analyst with NGIS. Uh, This is my second time around. I've been around for about 12 months now and certainly been involved with the, the GIS data from the data administration side of town. So after it's been collected, and staff makes his mess, I'm the one that oh, deals joy. with it on my side of town. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we also have Nick Chai. Do you prefer to be called Nicholas when you get introduced for uh, the first time? Nah, Nick's good. Nick Chai, everybody. I don't think I've had you on the podcast yet. Originally, at the start, I think maybe the first few episodes, maybe first 10, I was in one with Adam. Man, that's going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I did a podcast with old Richard Bentley and uh, Dion on the, the way the GIS industry changed over our three different careers, oh, Richard being cool. the older one. And, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> you I bet you that was a productive <laughs> podcast yeah. with Richard on it. God, um, yeah, Richard good. Bentley, what a, what a character. Miss that guy a lot. Yeah. So Nick, Joy, staff, thank you so much for being on our first podcast back this year. I'm going to start by talking about I guess we'll go back to the name of this podcast, which is called Data, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly. We're going to talk about all of it. But let's start with ugly because why not? That's kind of why we're here, actually. I think that's probably the part of it that we need to talk about to get to the good. So when it comes to data governance, what exactly are we talking about when we talk about when something might be ugly, Joy? Basically, what I find is ugly is when the organisation members cannot locate data. They don't know where it is and they don't actually know what it means. So they have fields with data in them, but they're not actually sure what what it is and they also don't know how accurate that data is because the metadata hasn't been updated. So accuracy for data capture, etc. is is not available to people. So they can't find the data and they don't know how good it is. So they don't know 
how suitable it is for their purpose. Yeah, right. So, Nick, would you agree with what Joy said? Yeah. So, in my experience, I'm quite often one of the guys that might make a little bit of a mess because uh, I'm always always in like that, that solution headspace. And what I find in a business, what happens is like for the short term, somebody will have a, an urgent request, right, to supply a particular function to your app or something. So you go and implement it and that usually often requires a new feature class to be made in your SDE or something. So you go and make it, um, you know, following the correct change management processes and all that, of course, everyone approves it because <laughs> we need to get this app done. Yes. <laughs> and then... Yeah, it's great for a little while and then it's used, the project is delivered, right? They've dug the hole or whatever they're doing and then uh, that data set just sort of sits there and because it's in SDE, nobody's maybe you haven't maintained the metadata for it because it's not pertinent anymore, uh, as Joy was saying, and um, we don't know who's looking after it anymore. Maybe that guy's moved on and nobody wants to delete it, right, because it's in SDE production. <laughs> So then it just stays there. Either we, and then you get this inefficiency where, okay, we're just maintaining this because we need to make sure, you know, all the data's up to date all the time, but maybe it's not even being used, you know. So that's just sort of one, one uh, occurrence where the slow, you know, march of time sort of deteriorates the quality of the data in your, in your databases. Mm. But that's not really ugly. Well, I it mean, might be redundant. Redundant, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think if you store raw data that comes in from staff and then we we put it somewhere on a in a record management system and then we decide um, we're going to import it into the database and we want to do some testing and checking first. So we import it in and then we import it in with the, maybe the contractor's name, so we'll put staff's name in there plus a date after the end of the file and then we'll do what we need to do. We'll merge it with our other data and then we'll just leave it there in the SDE or... Database. Does that resonate with you, Steph? Well, I was kind of thinking maybe what Nick was saying is that a, a baby can start out very beautiful, but as life goes on, kind of become ugly from not taking the challenges of life in the right way. As you add in these, uh, uh, these extra things after the design phase, then things can get messy. It can. Yeah. So I think it sounds like it would be pretty difficult for any organisation to be perfect, right? Absolutely. But when we talk about having things as, as good as they can be, is that when we say that you've got a good data governance structure? Would you say yes? What makes a good data governance structure, Nick? Yeah, at the start, you might have a process where you've outlined, you know, we're going to do data audits and things like that, uh, which is always great. But I just find in the, when you're in the throw of things, that sort of, process sort of gets put in the background because you're just you know trying to get production working or trying to do whatever job you're doing right your like immediate needs and then you know all the maintenance stuff like documentation and maintaining your docs and that and maintaining your databases and metadata that always sort of falls in the background and if you let that get out of hand then yeah that's when you you, you know it starts getting that desync and so i think it does come down to discipline i suppose having I guess it'll be management to make sure that they're actually following those processes. Well, yeah, that's something I'd love to talk about is, um, I guess, this whole data integrity piece stuff. I know that's something you and I have spoken about before where you maybe need a, a person who's the, let's just say, authoritarian person on data. Yeah, they're kind of stickler. Maybe we can say that data stickler. Yeah, we can stickler. say that. Yeah, describe that person to me. Well, I suppose it's an awkward position, especially in terms of like a uh, field project where you're doing data collection is that sometimes when people are doing their work, say, 
out bush in a hot environment and something like that and you might not uh, think that taking your time to record everything totally properly is that important given the rigours of your situation and think that it can be fixed up later but it's often quite difficult to do that so it kind of I've found that it needs to be someone there who is kind of um, keeping people on point to make sure things are kind of uh, documented correctly in the moment because when people are under pressure they kind of forget that you often can't go back and fix things later when it comes to comes to data you know so that's um, what I meant in that context. Yeah, you've just actually finished doing um, a pretty short three-day training forum for the Indigenous Mapping Workshop here in Perth. It was kind of a smaller one. I know you were teaching field data collection there with Fulcrum. Yeah. Yeah, is that something you were explaining during that course too? Yeah, I, I suppose I was um, explaining it in a slightly different way. The, the concept there was that sometimes people have systems because they want to have these systems in place, but you really need to understand why you have that system and um, build up your data model with that in mind. And if you know why and like what you're going to use that data for, then you can uh, structure it to facilitate that. Yeah, look, I guess also from your perspective as well is when you've got guys out in the field from different groups collecting data, how do you manage that to ensure that you're getting the same back from each of your contractors? Do you workshop it with the contractors or how, how do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, the main thing that gets lost is communication in that design phase. I mean, it's difficult when people are on existing different systems, but if ever opportunities come up to for that communication of uh, shared use down the line and shared intentions, it's really valuable to seize those opportunities and have the discussion and try to bring things at least into a kind of comparable schema down the line. So it's really about communication and seizing those moments when it can happen. Probably a sort of an ethos that can be carried across multiple industries as well. Yeah. You've got people doing data collection in all sorts of industries. I know that you, in particular, Nick, you've got a lot of experience doing or seeing data being collected for the mining industry. Yeah, so we help set up their hydro team with a digital collection process because they used to just use paperwork and then we used um, ArcGIS collector and survey one two three so they could you know fill in a form basically a digital form I mean if you're familiar with survey you can design these these forms where they use as a nice menu to like click on drop downs and things like that that's probably a good way to put in your business rules into the application as it's being collected uh, before they can do the submission that's probably a good way to maintain your your data quality ever come across any businesses that have you've seen go or people within businesses that have gone this has gone too far now this is impossible yep yeah the other issue is the people say it's gone too far and we need to do something about it there's those guys in the business who like it that way so then you get resistance to to change where one half of the team say this is fine i know exactly where the data is and i know what's what everything is i know everything about this data but then you get the new guys in the team and they say, we can't find the data. We don't know where it is. So you've got one guy who says, this is great. And then other people are saying, this is a problem because I can't find what I need. And then the person who says, this is fantastic, is the person who says, oh, no, it's too big a project to fix this up. Often the decision maker has a lot of weight in the decision as well. All I can picture in my head when you say that is like when you're a kid and you had a messy bedroom and your mum would be like, clean up your bedroom. I bet you can't even find this and you'd be like, I know where it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, what do you do in those situations? So let's say that the overwhelming consensus from that team is that you've got more people saying, yes, we want to do this than the people who say no to it. 
and you guys might be contracted in to do the, that work. Like kind of where do you start? Like what do you do in those situations? You've got to engage with the team and I think you need to have all the parties in the room together and discuss the pros and cons of, of what the change would look like, what they think it would look like and what would make things better, what would help them to have better productivity. And if they're part of the solution, then they generally won't push back too much because they need to be seen to be contributing with everybody else in the team. So I think workshopping it is the best way to go because then it's a, a democratic environment and it's not like we don't go in and tell people how they have to structure their data but offer suggestions and and reasons why something may be better over another. And there's generally a, a good reason for that. Do you guys ever find that there's any success in talking about the end result and like what it could be versus what it is now? I think maybe people can sometimes get hung up on this is the current situation but not really understand the benefit in the long term. Yeah, like with this sort of work though, on organised databases, you know, you've got all obvious uh, benefits straight away, but it's those, um, it's, it's hard to introduce extra process in something that doesn't give immediate, you know, return. It's hard to say what's the dollar value associated with doing all of this back-end work to clean up your existing data. <laughs> so it, sometimes it's really hard to sell. Yeah, unless, it, unless there's an issue. So generally when it gets to the yeah. ugly stage, it's costing a lot of money because nobody can find anything and the people doing the GIS production work are falling behind because of the, the processes or the state of the, the environment and it makes it very difficult for them to, to produce the outputs that they need to. So that's when it starts to become important and the business sees that productivity yeah. gains will be the winner there. Yeah. I just had a thought along these lines, talking about shaking things up in an existing system. One thing I've come across is often people will want more flexibility out of a current system. But I kind of feel that sometimes flexibility and structure and organisation have to be balanced. And if you want ultimate flexibility, sometimes you lose out on a bit of structure. So sometimes the pushback is actually coming from that in-house data stickler that's been there for a long time and kind of knows how things can go wrong. I think you can give flexibility with structure in a controlled environment. So you can, yep. you can bend to give structure for a certain portion and then allow a, let's say, a pool of flexibility and have the flexibility controlled in a safe sandbox. <laughs> so they can have flexibility, but also they're, they're somewhat protected. Perhaps that's what it all comes down to, is that balance between flexibility and structure is kind of a yeah. pretty key thing. So do you guys have any examples, I guess, anecdotally of a time where you've seen data go from what we call ugly to good? Yeah, I can think of one context when I was working with a lot of related groups or a whole bunch of different land management organisations. They were all collecting data um, using their own systems, but they wanted to kind of be able to talk together. So we, we started this consultative process of um, being able to balance the different regional needs because, for example, in this context, people had different um, species in the different areas that they had that they needed to record. But to make things comparable down the line, we kind of had to try to balance that regional specificity with um, standardisation across the wider region. Once again, it just came down to communication and consultation with the, with the right people. And through that, you can kind of get good results. But yeah, prescriptive things coming from outside don't tend to work. So you just have to talk to the right people in the yeah, it sounds projects. a little bit like Joy, what Joy was saying before about getting everyone in a room together and actually talking about the requirements and yeah. what the end, you know, end goal would be ideally and getting there. Joy, did you have a story for that as well? Yes, yeah, certainly do. I'm working with one of our 
of our uh, junior analysts at the moment on a project where we came in and another contractor had been looking after the environment and left a bit of a trail of ugliness and the customer wasn't particularly aware of it but the data was out of date by about three years uh, because all the automated processes had broken and there was no automation. Uh, so we, we designed a, a governance structure that would work for their data and we've migrated their various shapefiles and tab files into a database structure, which is looking very good now. We know exactly where the data is and it should be easier for other business systems to find the data. And we're using now FME to synchronise the data so that it's regularly updated and we'll send an email if, if that fails. So we're in the middle of tidying that environment up at the moment. Oh, good on you. Nice. I won't ask you, Nick, because you've just said that you're the messy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, leave me out of that one. <laughs> so basically, if Joy ends up working on any project that you've <coughs> been on, she's going to know who yeah, the culprit no. is. <laughs> yeah, no, we appreciate, you know, uh, the data governance side of things for sure to keep, us, keep implementations in line. No, I, I think you've got a good point, Nick, though. It's very difficult to do the day-to-day GIS work that has to be done. I need this map, I need this data, I need this application. You cannot do that and do the governance at the same time. It's just like having the fox looking after the chickens. Yeah. It just doesn't work that well. Well, it's um you don't have time. You know, you can you can do it correctly as long as you got that like that the data stick line you're working with them. That's generally how it, things should go. It's just sometimes, you know, with time constraints or you know, some other pressures to do with, you know, business processes and things where I suppose like working through the quotes red tape of getting it all th- approved, cause just because it's got to go through more people, um, you know, it takes a little bit longer. So some, sometimes get people get a bit frustrated with that. But it, always it's the truth for a lot of things in life. It's like you do things the hard way so that down the line you're more efficient in whatever you're doing. Governance doesn't need to be difficult, though. No. <laughs> You've just got to define the rules in such a way that it allows for a sensible way to, to make change. Because sure. generally, I'm going to call it our IT, will generally go to the far extreme, which, which, as you said, is quite onerous, and getting things through change management can be quite difficult. Yeah. And that's where I think GIS administrators need to get involved to ensure that there's, there's a sensible approach to it so that you can, can make the change you need to make where things aren't going to break. And I think at the end of the day, change management's there to protect ourselves, but also shouldn't impede impede progress. And I think that's sometimes where it goes to the nth degree when it doesn't really need to be that hard. I wonder if you guys have any tips for young graduate GIS analysts that, you know, are coming in, maybe not in a consultancy perspective, like they're not a consultant going across different places, but maybe they're embedded into like a large organisation and they're sort of green coming out of uni and don't realise that these sorts of problems could exist and that they might have to deal with, what your top tips to them might be? I can think of one thing is just stop, think before you design a system. Get out pencil and paper and kind of sketch things out, but just stop and think before you start building things. I'd say start with the governance and design it, as you say, design it rather than have it organically grow. And I think that is a big thing if you're starting a new project, design it from the outset as opposed to letting it grow on its own because that's when I think the ugliness occurs. Yeah, I agree with uh, my colleagues there. Um, definitely think about the end product and how that data set's going to be maintained going forward and then you'll probably, and naturally you'll just find, oh, this should fit into our data governance rule set wherever you're working. And if there isn't one, 
then maybe, you know, with your fresh eyes, you can sort of propose the question. Awesome. All right, guys, well, that's all we've got time for today for the good, bad and the ugly. Maybe we can do a follow-up on this later, but it's been a, a lot of fun. Really happy to be back. Um, staff, thank you so much for coming on and doing your first podcast with us. I hope that there's many more. I'm actually hoping that maybe um, we can get you in to talk more about some of that good work that you've been doing um, with Indigenous Mapping Workshop, which is something we talk about a lot here on this podcast. Sure, I'd love to, yeah. Enjoy, Nick. Guys, thanks again for coming back on, Nick. Has, you've had that bit of a hiatus, so it's good to have you back on yeah. again. <laughs> no, it's good to be back. We've actually moved our podcast platform um, to Captivate FM. So if you head to the NGIS website and go to our podcast page, we'll be redirected there. Our team's worked really hard on um, making that look ship shape for you all to interact with. And don't forget that if you enjoy listening to Location Matters, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and now Google Podcasts as well. Thanks. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.